God's people said? Amen. Amen. There are two things that the scripture says Jesus marveled at. It says that he marveled at the unbelief of his own people. The gospel of Mark, Jesus marveled that his own people, the people of Israel, did not believe. The second thing that Jesus marveled at was the belief and the faith of the Roman centurion. Matthew's gospel records that Jesus marveled at his faith. One, Jesus marveled at unbelief. The other, Jesus marveled at belief. If God were to evaluate your life today, would he marvel at your belief or at your unbelief? Would he marvel at the fact that you long for him to do something significant in your life, a breakthrough in your life, or would he marvel at the fact that you do not want or desire a breakthrough in your life, or you don't believe he can do one in your life? When we talk about the subject of breakthroughs in prayer, we're talking about something that happens in our lives that takes us into a new dimension of our faith with God, a new dimension in our walk with God, a new dimension in our praying to God. And so the first thing I want us to look at this morning is the secret to breakthroughs is faith. Now we're going to be in John 14. Jesus said in John 14 in the Williams translation, he said, I will not leave you helpless orphans. Most Christians act like God is helpless and therefore they are hopeless. But I would submit to you that God has done something for us that is so incredible that if we ever grasp it, we will go into a deeper walk with the Lord. Jesus is announcing to his disciples that he's about to leave. And Philip gets a little anxious and maybe speaks for the other disciples and says, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now let me tell you what that answer was. In that answer, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That answer implies that the secret to the life of Jesus is the same secret for us. What Jesus had from the Father, he gives to us. And so if I understand what Jesus said, that the key to his life is his connection with the Father, then the key to my life is my connection with the Father. Does that make sense? Already gone over your head? I got to know who I'm talking to. I got to understand who's the one that makes things happen. Jesus said, I am not the source of my own sufficiency. I do nothing of myself. He said, I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. And I've met people in ministry and they say, oh, you know, if God would just speak to me, if I could just hear God speak to me. Well, he has spoken. He's spoken in his word. He never speaks inconsistent with his word. 
God has spoken. Oh, if I could just hear the audible voice of God. If God would just show up physically and show himself to me, then I could believe. That's not true. You bought a lie. Because what Jesus is telling his disciples is the physical absence of Jesus from this earth will not hinder what he has called them to do. So therefore, the physical presence of him today wouldn't help us. If it wasn't going to help them do what they needed to do after he was gone, then we don't need the physical presence of Jesus. We need to understand what Jesus makes available to us. And so I want you to look at verse 12 of John 14. Because if the physical absence of Jesus is not a hindrance, then what is it that he's trying to tell us? And this is a key. And I'm going to tell you, if you get this, It'll change the way you understand how God works. John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father. Now look at what he says. You believe The works that I do, you'll do, and you'll do greater works because I'm leaving, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. There is an incredible promise and an incredible possibility in those verses for you. Not just for missionaries, not just for the super saints, for you. There is a promise and a possibility there because Jesus promised them two things, that they would equal his works and they would exceed his works. Jesus said, you will equal what I have done and you will exceed what I have done. You say, well, man, I've been a Christian for a while and I hadn't equal or exceeded the works of Christ. Well, the first fulfillment of this was at Pentecost. There were more people saved on the day of Pentecost after a 10-minute sermon that had ever come to believe in Jesus Christ in the three years that he was on this earth. He was immediately fulfilled at Pentecost. They prayed, they believed God, the Spirit showed up. So what did Jesus mean by greater works? I mean, we got people that claim they can raise the dead. We got people that claim they can heal the sick and the blind. Jesus did not mean, hear me well, and I'm I'm not picking on any group in the Christian community. I'm telling you what the scripture says in the original languages, the joy boys and the health and wealth boys and the prosperity gospel preachers have misinterpreted greater works. They are deceivers. Because what they have convinced us of is if we can't heal somebody, then we can't do greater than Jesus. And because they, quote unquote, heal somebody, they're greater than the pastor of the church that's ministering to people that are dying. And they have sold us a bill of goods that don't work. It is not what Jesus was promising that you and I are going to be able to wave our hand across a congregation and a thousand people be healed. 
God could do that without any preacher waving his hand over anybody. God's healed a lot of people because they went to a good doctor. Hello? <laughs> what are the greater works? If you read Acts, and this is why you got to know your Bible, because if you don't know your Bible, somebody's going to convince you the Bible says something it doesn't say. If you know your Bible, the greater works, when you start reading at Acts chapter 1, there are probably less than a dozen healings from Acts chapter 1 all the way through the book of Revelation. The emphasis of Acts in the epistles is not on healings. It's not on prosperity. It's not on getting whatever you want. The greater works of Jesus are primarily centered around holiness and evangelism, holiness in the church, evangelism in the world. Jesus came and found his people not living up to what they had been set apart to do. And so God came and created a new covenant with the church so that we could do greater works and take the gospel to the world. And so when you read the scriptures, the greater works are primarily about the body of Christ being built up and about the evangelism of the lost. He says, I go to my Father and the Holy Spirit's going to come after I have ascended to the Father. Here's the key. From his position of intercession and from his position by the Holy Spirit in us, he empowers us to do greater works. Works and greater works. Everything we do, here's the key, everything we do will actually be done by Jesus doing it in us and through us. And by the way, you can never do a greater work for God until God's done a greater work in you. The reason we're not doing greater works and the reason the world is lost and the reason our culture is decaying is not because God is not powerful enough. The reason is the Christian community has not allowed God to do a greater work in them so that he can do a greater work through them. God can only use what is available to him. And if I'm not available, if I'm resistant, if I'm casual or carnal or apathetic, then God is limited in what he can do in my life. And so the greater works because of his ascension and because of the descending Holy Spirit, we are empowered and equipped to equal and excel the works of Jesus. Now I want to ask you a question. Right now, today, on this day in January 2008, do you believe that you are doing right now in your Christian life greater works? The majority of us would say, not even close. Let me tell you why. It's not because you haven't heard good preaching. It's not because you don't hear good gospel singing. It's not because you don't own a Bible. It's not because the Holy Spirit is absent. The reason that you are not seeing greater works in your life today has one source. The problem is who's sitting in your seat. You cannot do what you do not allow God to do in you first. You can't take somebody where you haven't been. And you and I cannot give to the lost world the hope of the gospel if we don't even believe it in our own lives. 
We cannot show to the world the power of the change of the cross if it's not even evident in our own lives. And so God equips us and he sends breakthroughs by faith. Are you believing God? First thing you ought to believe God for, Stephen said it earlier in the prayer time, first thing you ought to believe God for is for God to show you where you need a breakthrough. Because until you get over that hump, you'll never make it. You just continue to coast along. And I don't know any of us that got saved and wanted to coast. Let's die climbing. Secondly, the significance of a breakthrough is discovered in prayer. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name. And when you read the book of Acts, it is filled with prayer meetings. They were persecuted. They prayed. They evangelized. They prayed. They prayed for more boldness. They prayed for power. They prayed for their enemies. Their public ministry was supported by the prayer ministry of the church. By the way, every public ministry of this church only has power to the extent of the prayer ministry of this church. Alan Redpath said, Never undertake more Christian work than can be covered by believing prayer. To fail here is is to act not in faith, but to act in presumption. Jeremiah 33, 3, God's phone number. Call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not of. What are mighty things? Mighty things are things hidden, things inaccessible, things that you will never receive and never understand and never be able to grasp until you call on him. Here's what we want to do. We want to just show up and God show us great and mighty things. We want to see a show. We want a Super Bowl halftime. But God says until you call on me, until you come to me in desperation and want me to do something great, when you call on me, then and only then will I show you great and mighty things that you don't know anything about. Hidden things, inaccessible things, fenced-in things. Six times in John 14 through 17, Jesus says, if you ask, I will. Now, that doesn't mean that we manipulate God. It doesn't mean that it's a tagline. But he says, if you ask, look at it. Let's just walk through it real quick. Chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name. Verse 14. If you ask anything in my name. Now, there's a whatever and an anything. I don't see any limitations on those two words. There's a whatever and an anything. Chapter 15 and verse 16. Chapter 15 and verse 16. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name. Chapter 16 and verse 23. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Now, he says whatever over and over again. I'm assuming Jesus knew what whatever meant. And it's not like we use whatever now. Well, whatever. God says, I want to do something for you. Whatever. It's a positive, not whatever. Not a shrug your shoulders, whatever. 1624. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Verse 26 of chapter 16. In that day, you will ask in my name. Now, here's what Jesus promised. He promised when we ask in his name, when we pray in his name, we will get, first of all, his peace. We'll get his peace, John 14, 27. He also says that we'll get the Holy Spirit, John 14 and verse 16. 
And then he tells us that we will get prayers answered in his name, John 16, 23 and 24. What does it mean to ask in the name of Jesus? It means to ask in harmony with his character, sanctioned by his character. It means to pray in the authority of Jesus, to pray in harmony with Jesus. When I pray in Jesus' name, it's not, Lord, I want this, Lord, I want this, Lord, I want this, Lord, I want this, give me that, give me that, give me that, do this for me, do this for me, in Jesus' name, amen. And that, oh, well, see, I prayed in Jesus' name, he's got to give it to me. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray in harmony with who Jesus is. How do you know who Jesus is? You read the Word of God. And hemmed in by the only boundary being the Spirit of God and the Word of God, you ask according to his name. Ron Dunn, in his book on prayer, talked about having a hectic week. And he had a particular day that week when he had not had his quiet time and he had not read his Bible. He had not talked to anybody about the Lord. And he sat down at the end of the day and he kind of slumped down in his chair and he began to pray. And he said something like this, Lord, I don't feel worthy to enter your presence today. I don't have a right to ask you for anything. And Ron said, suddenly it seemed like the Lord said to him, Ron, suppose you had done a lot of spiritual things today. Suppose you had prayed for four hours. Suppose you had read your Bible on your knees for four hours. Suppose you had led 10 people to Christ today. Would you feel any more confident in your praying than you do right now? And Ron said, I thought, yes, sir, I would. And then this is what God spoke to Ron's heart. Then you're praying in your own name. You think I hear you because of your holiness. You think I'm more inclined to listen to you if you do a lot of good works. You are approaching me in your own unworthy name. If you had prayed for eight hours, read your Bible for eight hours, and led 50 people to Christ today, you would have no more right to pray to me than you do right now. You see, our problem is we ask flippantly or we ask arrogantly. Because either we're feeling really good about ourselves, so we'll go ask God for something big, or we ask flippantly because some, we heard somebody say, you'd ask God whatever you want, and that's what you're going to get. Not so. You pray according to the will of God and the Word of God. And so Ron said, I got it. So how do I know that I'm praying By faith in the name of Jesus. First of all, my prayer is consistent with the word and will of God. My prayer is consistent with the word and will of God. Secondly, my prayer is consistent with God's character. It's consistent with God's character. It's like him in nature. And thirdly, it brings glory to God. The answer to the prayer will bring glory to God. You see, if my motives are the same as his, then I'm going to have a breakthrough. If my motives are the same as God's motives, if my goal is the same as God's goal, then I'm going to have a breakthrough in my prayer 
and in my faith. And so let's look at the last thing. The securing of breakthroughs demands patience. Now, walking with God is a long obedience in the right direction. It is a process, not an event. You and I can walk into a room and turn the lights on and immediately the lights are on. We tend to, in our culture, overestimate the event and underestimate the process. You know, you'll hear talk right now during the NFL playoffs about they're on the same page. He's on the same page with his receiver. He knows how to just throw it to a spot, and he knows the guy's going to be there. Why? Oh, they just decided that they'd do that one day. They haven't practiced it. They haven't run any routes. The quarterback's never had a ball to throw to him. The guy's never had to catch it. They just got it by osmosis. You study, you read about Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison. You read about what's happened this year with the Jennings kid and Brett Favre with Green Bay. And you start looking at what happens with quarterbacks and receivers. And you know what happens is when everybody else is going to the shower, they're still in the process of learning to trust one another. The quarterback trusting the receiver and the receiver trusting the quarterback. And that takes time. You see, we stand up and cheer. Woo! Look at that moment. Look at that catch. Like it just happened. Hey, I want to be a stud for God. Well, you're going to have to show up for two a days. I want to be great for God. You ought to try coming to church on Sunday night. If all you're going to do this year is what you did last year, you're not going to be any better. And by the way, When you stop growing, you start dying. And if you're not moving forward, you're backsliding. So whatever your level of commitment was last year, if it's not getting any better this year, you really, in fact, are going backwards. You're going backwards. And three years from now, you'll just be out the door. And you'll wonder what happened. And then what you'll do, you'll blame God and the church for the condition of your life. Because you didn't seek him for a breakthrough. You see, we live for the moment. So we have birthday moments. We have anniversary moments. And we have championship game moments. We have the moment we were saved. And we have the, the moment at camp when we got right with God. And we have all these moments. But there's a process that leads up to those moments. And what we have to understand is that God wants to put us in a position where we learn to wait until he shows us how to push to the next level. But we're positioned for him. We're ready for it. And we're believing God for it. Henry Louder said, they will know where you have been by the lamps you light. What lights are you putting on? What process are you going through to light some new lamps this year? to open up some new doors, to take some things to a new level. Acts chapter 3, there were two groups of people that were positioned for a uh, breakthrough. One was the lame man who had been lame for decades. And then there's Peter and John. Now remember, Peter and John have come out of a prayer meeting. Peter's preached a sermon. And here's this lame man sitting by the temple gates. And there's a breakthrough. 
There's a breakthrough for this man because he's been sitting there every day looking for handouts, and there's a breakthrough for Peter and John. The breakthrough for the man is that he's been sitting there waiting for something to happen. Now, if he decided that day, I think I'll just stay home today. You know, I was there for the last three months, and nobody's done anything yet, and, and Jesus is gone now, and I heard Jesus could heal and, and heal people who were paralyzed. I heard stories about that. He's gone now. I think I'll just stay home and just sit out in the garden and eat worms. I think I'll just quit. Have me a little pity party. He kept showing up. Part of succeeding in life in any area is showing up. He just kept showing up. But then Peter and John, all of a sudden they saw him. You think they'd ever seen him before? Of course they had. He's always been there. He's been there for years. He, Peter and John show up. First thing is they saw him. They'd never seen him like that before. They had never seen that opportunity before. They'd always kind of looked around and said, you know, it's up to Jesus. He wants to heal that guy. Jesus could heal that guy. He's walked by him before. But now Peter and John see him and they speak to him. Not only did they see him, they spoke to him. And then they seized him by the hand. Guess what happened? For Peter and John, it was a breakthrough. And for that man, it was a breakthrough. The man was prepared for a moment where a miracle could happen. And he had been there for a long time. Peter and John, because they waited in prayer until the Spirit came, saw that man in a whole new light that day. So we don't settle. We don't run ahead of God. Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So let me give you three keys to a breakthrough quickly. First of all, be available. Be available. Story is told of Elijah when he went to the, to the brook that the ravens fed him there. I've always found that very interesting, that God would choose to say that the ravens fed him there. Where did the ravens feed him? where God told him to go. Go to the brook. Now, let's just think about this. The ravens were smart enough to go where God told them to go to feed the prophet. If the prophet hadn't been smart enough to go where God told him to go, he would have starved. Because the ravens weren't going to get a GPS system out and call 911 and say, anybody know where the prophet went? He's not where he's supposed to be. Elijah would have starved if he hadn't gone where God told him to go. If he wasn't available there because God sent some birds on a mission to take care of a man. And when they got there, the man was where he was supposed to be. That's why one of our rules at youth camp was always be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, I never have had in 55 years of my life, I have never had to apologize one time, ask God to forgive me one time, get in trouble one time when I was where I was supposed to be, when I was supposed to be there, doing what I was supposed to be doing. Isn't it amazing we never seem to learn that? We expect God to show up where you want him to show up. You better find out where he's showing up and you better get there. Amen. And you better be there when you're supposed to be. I heard a story about a little boy. And uh, there was a circus coming to town. This was at the turn of the 20th century. And there was a circus coming to town and they had a band. 
And uh, they needed a trombone player. So this little boy found out about it, and he signed up to play the trombone in this circus band that was going to march through town all the way to the circus to get people to come follow them to go into the circus that day. And so this little boy signed up to play the trombone, and he got in the marching band, and he hadn't gone two blocks. Two ladies had fainted from his playing, and one horse, as he went by him playing the trombone, got loose of its reins and took off running out of town. And the band leader walked up to the little boy and said, Son, he said, you didn't tell me you couldn't play the trombone. He said, Well, I'd never tried before. I thought I'd just try. You know what that kid was? That kid was available. Nobody else was volunteering. You know why you know the story of the boy with the five loaves and two fish? Because he showed up and he was available. And God always uses people who are available. It's not God's ability that we're lacking. It's our availability that we're lacking. Now, I have a blank sheet of paper with me. You say, it sounds like your sermon. Uh, I have a blank sheet of paper with me. It has nothing written on it. Let me tell you something about this blank sheet of paper. It can either scare you or you can seize the moment. Let's say this blank sheet of paper represents your life for the next 12 months. You can sit there and look at it with a pen, pencil, or crayon and say, Boy, I'm scared to write down something. I may write down the wrong thing. Or you can look at it and say, Man, God's given me a whole canvas to work with. Think of all the things I could write on this blank sheet of paper about what I want to see God do in my life. Some of you will approach this year, which is a blank sheet of paper by and large, going, I don't know what to do with a blank sheet of paper. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what to write down. I'm scared I'll write down the wrong thing. I'm scared I'll write down what somebody else wrote down. And you'll still have a blank sheet of paper at the end of the year. Some of you are going to believe God for something great and significant, and you're going to put the things on a blank sheet of paper that you want God to do, that you want to be available for Him to do. And you know what? God might actually show up and do it. He just might. But you'll never know until you're available and you write it down. Second thing, be faithful. Be faithful. In the book, The Theory of 21, Chuck Reeves says, for every one person who will say yes, there will be 20 who will say no. For a positive response, you must find the 21st person. By the way, the 21st person is always the person who makes things happen. The 20 people are the people who either say it's never going to happen or after it's happened and they've missed it, they say, boy, I wish I'd have been a part of that. Are you a 20th person always finding out why God can't do something? Or are you a 21st person that believes that God can always do something? So you have to be faithful. You have to be available. You have to be faithful. I want you to see some pictures. These are two wolves up in uh, northern Minnesota. They're standing on ice in the middle of a stream that is broken through. The water has broken through this ice. It's been frozen solid, but it had warmed up just enough that day.
for one hole to break and then the ice began to come apart and it's a gap. Now I want you to look at what the two, those two wolves symbolize mankind. One is looking down at the obstacles. The other one decided he's going to jump. That water is going at about 30 miles an hour. That wolf gets in that water, he will get swept down river. He could die or he could live. The story behind this story, before we go to the next slide, the story behind this one is that one jumped. The other one never did. He stayed right there. He never moved. That's human nature. Every one of us live our lives with one or two perspectives. There's an opportunity there's a breakthrough, there's a moment, there's something out there ahead of me, or we're looking down saying, I can't do that, I can't do that, God wouldn't do that for me, God doesn't love me enough for that, you don't know where I've been, you don't know what I've gone through, and we make excuses and we always look down at the danger and the problem and the obstacles, and we never jump. Now watch what this wolf does. By the way, you can't see it in this picture right here, but Ken Jenkins is sitting 10 feet away underneath the tree right here on this other side over here. And as that wolf jumped, he cuts his eyes to Ken just to let him know he's there. But he never quit moving toward the target. And so then he landed, and he got him a nice elk. And the other wolf stayed on the other side and was still hungry. Which one would you be? Would you taste and see that the Lord is good, or would you be spiritually starving? Are you willing to risk it for the reward? Are you just going to play it safe, hold all your cards, and hope you can just make it struggling across to the finish line? Finally, be ready. Be ready. I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to study the moments in the Bible when it says, then God, or when God, or but God. The moments that changed a circumstance, that changed an environment. Noah in the flood, Moses at the Red Sea, the, the priests putting their feet in the water at the crossing of Jordan, the feeding of the 5,000. Let's just look at the feeding of the 5,000 real quick. Matthew 14, you don't have time to turn to it. Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Now, what did Jesus do with the feeding of the 5,000? If you go to Matthew 14 when you get home and look at the pronouns in this story, here's what's happening. Jesus is inviting his disciples to partner with him in a breakthrough moment. Look at the me and the you's. Look at the pronouns. Jesus is inviting them to be partners with him in a breakthrough moment. You get the bread, you get the loaves, you get the baskets, bring them to me. I'm convinced that when you bring something to Jesus, he can do something with it that you can't do. And you will always spend your life saying, that's not going to work. That's not going to happen. 
God won't do that for me. He'll do it for everybody I know, but he won't do it for me. You'll spend your life spiritually starving if you don't come to grips with the fact that God has invited you. He's welcomed you to come in his name according to his character and ask you to do something significant for him and his power in you working through you. Now, I can't imagine anybody that doesn't want that to happen. I can't imagine that everybody in this room is perfectly happy and content with where they are in their walk with God. But I'm going to tell you, you won't be totally until you get to heaven, but I will tell you this. You could be on a path and on a pursuit that takes you at a much greater rate of speed and in a whole wider dimension in your walk with God if you'll just catch what God is trying to do with you. Would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed? In a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And I want to ask you this morning, if you need a breakthrough, if you need God to do something in your life, maybe it's a breakthrough of salvation. Maybe today what you need is for God to show up in your life and to show himself as Savior and Lord. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your family. Maybe you need a breakthrough in in an area in your life that's got you captive and held back. Maybe you need an attitude adjustment in whether you're willing to believe God or not. I don't don't know what you need today, but I'm going to tell you, if you're available and if you're faithful and if you're ready, God can do something in you and through you like he's never done before. And I, I wouldn't want to find myself settling and being halfway in the game when God's got so much out there for you individually and for us corporately in this coming year. What are you going to believe God for today? Father, in Jesus' name, as we begin to sing, I I ask you to do in people's lives what cannot be done apart from the working of the Holy Spirit. I ask you to stir our hearts with holy dissatisfaction. I ask you to motivate us to long for a greater and deeper work in our lives. Lord, I ask you to that you would not let us be content with status quo and with low-level living and with playing in the shallow end of the pool. I I pray that, that we will go deep with you today, that all across this room, children and young people and, and adults would go deeper with you and their walk with you today. In Jesus' name, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to ask you to step out and come. They're going to sing. You step out right now and come. I